and welcome back to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Of course, I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Real quick, I want to thank uh, MJ, Rob, Robert, and Case, my patrons who support me over at patreon.com slash stormageddon. If you'd like a shout-out on this show, you can join in on the $5 level. There are other levels, both less and more than that, if you want to scope that out. Every bit helps me to continue to create this and the other podcasts and things that I work on. Um, and I thank you for your support, whether you're just a listener or Patreon or whatever. Um, any of that helps grow the show. Um, also, really quick, I just want to promote my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash DJ underscore Stormageddon. I've been streaming a bunch over there. And it's been a lot of fun. I've been playing uh, Stardew Valley with Katie Bug, and I've also been doing some solo streaming on Fire Emblem and some other things. So if you want to, if you're a fan of streaming and like using the Twitch, as the kids call it, go check me out over there. But now, on to this week's episode. Um, I have the incredible Thady Bedbug as my guest. They are an incredible performer, um, actor, um, drag artist. They kind of do a little bit of everything. They're a jack-of-all-trades, and they are really a blast to chat with. Um, I've known them for quite a bit of time, and I was so excited to have them on the podcast. So, without any further ado because I think this episode mostly speaks for itself. Here is me and the incredible Thady Bedbug. Jakarta, Indonesia, and Singapore. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, I mean, New York City summers do get fucking bad. Like, I'm not a... I'm not here saying it's not. It's it's nothing. It's it's something. Well, yeah, the humidity is yeah. awful here. Um, I've started recording. We just ease in. Okay, cool. I used to do cold opens, and I I feel like I bring this up every episode. I used yeah. to do cold opens, but I hated how they sounded after a while. Like it was just very rehearsed, mm-hmm. and I felt like it killed the conversation. Like I'd be having great like preamble while testing the audio, and then I would go, Ah, oh, I'm here with so and so to this, and then like yeah, until it's like I dead. direct. I mean, I'm good at directing conversation, but it's right. like I just I like. The idea of just naturally talking with someone, totally. especially some folks are easier to talk to than others, uh, which is fascinating to me in nightlife is like I've met performers who on stage are these giant characters and mm-hmm. then like backstage they're so soft spoken and quiet and it's always just odd to me. As someone who also is very introverted, I'm just like, oh yeah, we're all like people. Oh yeah. I mean, personas in general, I, I, I think a lot about personas. Oh, I'm sure. Because I find that my two selves are... They are connected, uh-huh. and they're they're sometimes like dueling rivals, and sometimes they're like deep lovers. But like I really see them as separate, and I just moved into a space where I have a room for like my muggle self. Oh wow! And like I have a Vady walk-in closet. That's awesome. And it's been super helpful for me to kind of have some separation of church and state, and I, just to understand like, oh, this is a this is like a Vady thing, and this is like a my other life thing. Right. And just, like, to see where inside of me when I'm which. Because I think before I'd be, like, introducing myself to someone. I'd be like, who the fuck am I right now in this moment? (laughs) Which I still have, but... Yeah, I feel like I have that, too. And especially since as a DJ, like, I go by Stormageddon. But if people Mm -hmm. use my muggle name, I don't care. Because it's a different thing, you know? You know, and even though I've dabbled with performing, like, I don't know... Like, I... 
there pressure from friends of mine to do burlesque because mm-hmm. they think I'd do well at it, and that's that's very kind. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I think I would take classes before I do that. But I also know it's very different for a white straight presenting man to mm-hmm. have one identity for all that versus anyone else essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I'm conscious of that. But I try I try and respect it. And like I used to be much worse at code switching. Mm. Like I have a friend who's a performer who I knew as a performer, but I also knew their muggle name because we hung out a lot outside of burlesque. Yeah. And like I used to have trouble code switching. And for them it wasn't a big deal. I know I always apologize, but like my brain perceives things a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I found the same struggle with pronouns now. Like I always try and remember everyone's pronouns, but when I see someone who presents as traditionally femme to me, Mm -hmm. sometimes she slips out because I'm trying to train my brain to stop doing that. I'm always apologetic and I'm always trying to be better. But it's something I've noticed that it's with societal preconceived notions that I struggle with it more than anything else. Oh, definitely. I mean, everybody struggles with pronouns. (laughs) Like, we all struggle with pronouns. And it's like, I'm somebody who, like, my whole shtick is like, Hey, I'm in between. I'm a they, but ultimately, I still have to practice in my brain. Sure. Because I was conditioned just like everybody else. Yeah. And it helps that I work with children. Yeah. Because I'm constantly having to explain that there are more choices. Right. And so I think that helps me too. I also, in my life with children, like I just try to use people's names as often as possible. Because as much as I feel affirmed by being a they, and when I hear myself be they themed, I would love a world in which it was, like, almost irrelevant. Right, where it didn't really matter. Where people's yeah. names was were as meaningful, especially names yeah. that people have chosen. And I think for me, having a drag burlesque name helped me so much sure. in my day-to-day because I realized through drag and burlesque, oh, my God, you get to choose how people call you. Right. You get to choose what people see you as. And so through that, I changed my muggle name. Like I went through a legal name change process after getting into drag. And I mean, it also helps that your pronoun is in your name. Yes. Well, you'd think, you'd think. (laughs) There's so many people. Oh, really? Oh my God. All the time. I constantly have to explain. Huh. Yeah, I constantly I'm have shocked to by that because, like, yeah, it's, so for those, I haven't said it yet. Yeah. I'm with Vady Bedbug. And, like, the first time I saw you perform and I heard your name, I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Like, it's <laughs> just such a great name. And as far as the pronoun thing, they is in your first name, right. your first performer name. Yeah. And so I, in my head, I'm like, oh, they must get the correct pronoun all the time. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. And I. I've, I've, I think I've grown a lot in terms of having compassion for the fact that people are going to misgender. Uh-huh. Um, I think I've grown a lot. And it, it, because ultimately, I understand where it comes from. Right. I get it. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Sure. But I, I'm realizing that if I want to live in a world in which people see everybody the way they want to be seen... It's going to go a lot farther if I have gentleness and compassion sure. than if I have resistance and anger. And that's that's a hugely pr- privileged position that I can say that. Sure, of course. Because ultimately, like, I'm pretty safe in my identity, yeah. especially like, as a white person and as somebody who is perceived to be, like, a traditionally attractive woman. Right. I say in quotes, <laughs> which you can't see in the podcast, which obviously I'm not. But, you know, I'm, I'm perceived that way, so people see me as safe. Right. So it's easier for me to have compassion sure. and like have generosity and so I feel like because of that privilege like it's almost my duty to be like all right I gotta do this work I gotta like bear the brunt of this because right. like I'm mostly safe 
Right. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so let's talk about your burlesque and drag persona, Baby yeah. Butt Bug. I, the first thing I noticed about your whole aesthetic is that every single outfit has a matching mustache, <laughs> which I love. Was that always the case when you did when you started doing drag and burlesque? Was that always part of the identity, like that you wanted to have that makeup or or wig or whatever that represents the mustache? No, it wasn't actually. And I had two previous names. Oh, so this isn't your first. This was my third iteration, and this <laughs> feels like settled. And I'm sure that in my life, as somebody who is bound to transform all the time, like right. that's just something about myself that I'm like, oh, I have a new hobby, I have a new aesthetic. Let me absorb that. Right. Um, but I do feel like this is this is where it sits. Uh -huh. um, this is home. But my first persona was named Miss Construed. <laughs> Um, which is so ridiculous, <laughs> very it. punny. People people really loved it. People still love the pun, but ultimately oh, yeah. my nickname was Miss. Right, and you wanted to. And get that away wasn't from right. That. right. Um, and then it was Lady Bedbug, which people in this scene, some some people still remember when I went right. by that. Um, but again, the nickname was Lady. Yeah. So it just like it was like I kept making the same mistake again and again. Right. Um, and then I finally landed on on Lady, and I remember at some point when I was still Lady Bedbug, I just like painted a mustache on. Um, I think I just I just went with it. I knew I was gonna be in a room of trans people and I was like, I'm just gonna do this. Right. And I remember something clicking. Like, I remember being like, oh, I feel like I've seen myself for the first time. Right. And it's interesting the way that something that it can be, as a gender fluid person, something can be so affirming to me one day, the next day, not so much. Right. And there's some days when I actually don't wanna wear the mustache. Right. Because I'm like, I know I'm a boy. Right. And I know I'm I know I'm a femme boy and like sometimes painting it on clownishly almost makes me feel less of that. Right. Um because it feels like a a gag. And sometimes clown is so much a part of my gender yeah. that I'm I'm so down for for the gag, but it's definitely a there are, there are moments when I'm like, who am I doing this for? Right. Am I doing this because I feel like it's my brand? Mm -hmm. Or am I doing this because in this moment it genuinely affirms me? And most of the time, once I put a mustache on, I'm like, oh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> this is right. This is where I'm at. Like, this feels good. Um, and I realized the ways in which, like, m mustaches can be feminine. Anything yeah, that we've absolutely. traditionally deemed masculine can be feminine. Anything that we've traditionally deemed, you know, uh, feminine can be masculine. Yeah, totally. Um, so, how long have you been performing for? So, I used to act. Okay. So, I basically, you know. So, you went I to was, school for acting? I did. Okay. Well, I went to, yeah, I didn't go to, like, a conservatory. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a liberal arts school and studied drama mm -hmm. and gender studies. So, my, <laughs> my mom recently was visiting and was like, her scale of success is, like, who is using their degree <laughs> if, if they went to college? Right, who is using yeah, yeah. their degree? Um, and my mom recently asked me, like, so who of your friends is using their degree? And I was like, well, mom, I studied drama and gender studies, and I'm a drag performer, so I think I'm using my degrees, actually. Um, yeah, but so I, I, I really thought I was going to pursue theater, mm -hmm. um, and I really thought I was going to, like, do the actor thing. And there's a part of me that, that would still like to to do that. Right. And I've, I was in a play earlier this year um, because – I love character transformation. Mm -hmm. I also love words. And I love using my voice. Right. I love doing accents and like different vocal tonalities. And I sometimes feel that in Dragon Burlesque, that's lost. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm doing lip sync a lot of the time or, you know, I'm stripping. Um, and I think it's starting to come out as I MC more. Right. Um, 
which I really love because that also helps me blend my identities. Right. Because it's, there was a while in which I only knew who Zadie was on stage. Mm -hmm. And then the second I got off stage and people would talk to me, I would be super bashful and like very vulnerable. And I'm a very confident person. Like I'm a Leo, I'm an extrovert. (laughs) I've never had problems like socializing. Right. But it was going from that super vulnerable and like grotesque sometimes place to like this interpersonal place that, you know, they, they de accesses my extremes. Right. So I can be on stage and I can go to the scary and the ugly and the baby vulnerable. You know, I can go to both those sides, um, the hyper sexy and the like um, desexualized, whatever I'm feeling. Um, but then off stage, all of those exist and I'm in that in between. Right. Um, so it's been helpful learning to talk host and learning to talk on a mic to um, kind of integrate mm-hmm. the extremes. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've been emceeing for about three years, but I've been DJing longer. But I feel like my DJing got better because I was, I've was i been emceeing, which you'd think wouldn't affect the other. But mm-hmm. I think it just gives me more confidence. Being confident on stage in any capacity made me approach other things I do with confidence, even if they're not audience-facing or, like, at the front of the stage. Definitely. I came back to acting after not having done a play in years, and I felt like I was so much better, even though I hadn't been studying acting, I hadn't been practicing, but because I was doing clown. I was doing clown, I was doing movement, I was experimenting with character through drag um, and burlesque, so I feel like every art form advances other art forms, and I try to remember that because I definitely get uninspired sometimes. Sure. And I just get like, wow, drag has really become a job for me. I'm 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 not feeling motivated. Right. And I and I just want to remind myself, like in those moments, okay, so pick up some scissors and make a collage. Right. You know, like go sing, do something else, and then come back rather than like like beating hitting your my head, head. Yeah. yeah, against the table. Because ultimately I love my jobs. Yeah. And I'm feeling I feel so blessed and so grateful. To have opportunities doing this weird thing, and I, 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 what I love particularly about your performance, and there aren't a lot of performers who do this, is how expressive you are, especially when you lip sync. It's my favorite thing: the over-the-top gestures, <laughs> the, the the way you contort your face, like mm. all of it. Like I just, I think the reason I have such a clear vision of your brand as Lady Bedbug is mm. because I can. Like, hearing a song, I could picture you singing it because I, I think I know how you would do it mm-hmm. because I've just seen the way you perform. Mm. Was that a conscious decision to be so over-the-top and clownish with your performances? I don't think it was conscious, no. I think it's just, like, what feels right. Yeah. It's what feels natural to me because it's also... It, it almost seems weird to say this because what I'm accessing is, is a very sexual, very primal part of myself. Right. But it's also very much my inner child. Yeah. And... I'm healing my inner child by, you know, using, like, my whole facial expression and my, all the parts of my body. Um, I think it's just, I started doing this to give myself permission. Mm-hmm. And so for me, permission means, like, using my full face. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the challenge is how to not go all the way. Right. Like, how do I pull back so that I can sustain a performance? Sure. And so that I can have an arc, a narrative arc, too, because as somebody whose background is in storytelling and theater, 
I'm always interested in where do we begin and where do we end? And what is the conflict that happens and what is the resolution? Because what I don't want is, what, what, what is a pet peeve of me, of mine, is watching a performance and have a performer start and end in the same place. Mm, yeah. well, maybe they return. Right. But for me, it's like, if I have figured out what's what you're about and what you're doing, it, like a minute in and it doesn't change for three to five minutes, I've lost interest. I'm not engaged. Right. And the room hasn't been changed at all. And it, especially because so many of the places that we perform are like dodgy dive bars in right. which some people are there to see the show and a lot of people are there to have a drink. Right. Like I'm interested in how can we attempt to engage every single person in the room. Yeah. Even the most unexpected people in the corner who who don't who in the beginning of the performance are laughing and talking and making out and by the end of the performance are feeling something. Right. That's the hope. Sure. Yeah. No. That totally makes sense. Um, when you cr- when crafting an act, so do you make all of your wigs and costumes as well? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh my god. There's so many skills that one has to have as a performer that I kind of have given myself a little bit of of freedom to. Ask for help. Right. To outsource. Um, to outsource, definitely. Um, so I, a lot of my costumes, though, are thrifted. Okay. I, I don't, I, I have a couple commissions. I, I work with a couple of designers, especially Pieretta Victoria as a, as a designer I've um, booked multiple times. Um, but, and, and Sweet Lorraine is somebody whose, whose wigs I've, uh, I've bought. Also Suburbia, Zenobia, mm-hmm. when she was doing wigs, like those are all people that, whose wigs I've commissioned. Um, but at this point... Now that it's becoming so much more a job and I'm becoming so much, you know, I've become a lot more thrifty. Right. Um, and so I, I'm like, I'm like, I don't let myself buy any more wigs um, <laughs> unless there's like a really specific occasion or yeah. I've had a huge gig. Um, but, but costumes, I've always been really inspired by the art of like putting a story together through costume. Yeah. And that definitely is something that was a gift for me from my mother. Um she always encouraged like costume play as a kid and like she had costumes oh cool which was a huge huge resource for me um and we were always encouraged to like yeah be theatrical my parents met in a play oh wow um, so That's you know awesome. there's always things you can say about your parents and parents <laughs> are human and they've they've made mistakes and we'll all be spending lots of money in therapy forever because yes. of it but i have a lot of gratitude for the ways in which art of many kinds was always really encouraged. Um, Do you so because your your costumes are seem so memorable to me and so almost individual from ne- not necessarily always being completely connected to the performance. Mm-hmm. Do you? have an idea of what you're going how you're going to dress before you craft a performance or do you start with the music do you start with the theme like mm-hmm. how do you craft your acts I feel like every act has been different like I okay. feel like we can name an act and, and now I have acts that are like oh those are fully complete acts right and that has a costume specifically for that act but I also have many acts that I can change the costume and and often I do that to keep myself engaged sure like I if I'm just doing a lip sync in a bar I'm never going to do the same outfit right that I've done before because I want to keep myself interested I don't want to have different content from my Instagram you know what I mean like <laughs> we got to play the game sometimes right yeah um, totally but I do you know and, and there are some acts that I saw something in a thrift store and I was like oh my god I'm imagining this little red riding hood thing and then this happens and then this happens and there are, there are a lot that I've of acts that have come from songs that I've heard for me, a sign that I should make an act mm-hmm. is when I hear a song 
often on like my Spotify Discover Weekly. Right. I'm not sponsoring Spotify, but like <laughs> shout out. Oh, I use um, it all the time. Yeah. I pay for it. Like as a DJ, oh, yeah, it's totally. a godsend for the things you don't have totally. already. I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, but if I hear a song and I want to listen to it on repeat, uh-huh. then I know that I should make an act to it. Because ultimately, to memorize a song enough to lip sync it, it can't be like a song that you, you memorized you've just like memorized and can sing in the club. Like this right. has to be a song that you know, like the back of your hand. You have to be able to make the sounds right. that are not words, you know, and, and feel feel what's coming, especially for somebody like me who my style is like, I'm telling the story of the words with my body. Right. The words are so important to me that I, I have to listen to songs so many times that I can't get sick of it. And I do. There are some songs oh, that sure. I like can't listen to anymore. Really? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because I'm just like, oh, that's that's an act song. Like, yeah. And right before the performance, I'll listen to it again to remind right. myself. But but yeah, sometimes it's a costume. Sometimes it's a song. Um, sometimes it's like a, a new identity is coming yeah. inside of me and I like need to express it. Like I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm channeling my like primal pup self <laughs> and I like need to make an act around yeah. that. Or... Um, I'm really interested in in power play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if it's a duet, like, for example, Rara Darling is somebody that I love mm-hmm. to make duets with. Um, and we have a style now as, like, a, as a duet team mm-hmm. where we love, like, to switch the power many times within right. our acts. So it's, like, the audience never knows who's in control. Uh-huh. And we also love to mess with gender in that way. Right. Um, so that, so, so acts in that sense came from, like, our authentic dynamic. And then... Finding songs to match, like, a narrative that we want to play out. Was there ever a song that you were shocked that you felt the need to do an act to? Like, something that mm. came out of nowhere that you were like, oh, this is a thing I'm hooked on. I need to do something with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I have an act to Carrie Underwood's Before He Cheats, which is, like, <laughs> which is like you know, like, classic. I only laugh like, because I know the song yeah, so well. Yeah, And, like, course. it's just so, knowing the acts that you do, it seems kind of out of left Yes, field. it definitely is. Like, I'm not, like, a country music person. No, yeah. Many of the acts, many of the songs I'm interested in are, like, are, like, R&B, electronic, like, something, you know, it's just a totally different vibe. But for me, what what compels me about that song is the like sheer visceral rage yeah um and the imagery mm-hmm. of like smashing something um out of like revenge right um which which you know i'm like a i'm like a pretty i find myself to be like a pretty caring and kind person <laughs> right but drag and burlesque are like places that i can access yeah like it's freedom to safely access these places and i think one mistake that I think one could make and that I've made in the past is drag is n- and burlesque are not therapy. No. Like, yeah. they no, can't yeah. be the only way that you work through a challenging, right. an experience, a breakup, a moment. Right. They can be an incredible tool right. to, to embody and artistically express something um, that maybe is hidden inside of you. But if it weren't for, like, actually being in therapy and, like, being really invested in my own trauma healing, I don't think that I would be able to make money off of my art in a healthy way. Right. Yeah, or, yeah. I totally agree. I think it's an accessory to working through it, but I don't think it's the only avenue. I think mm-hmm. you need multiple paths for that kind of stuff. Um, uh, something else that I've wanted to ask for a while is just when, 
so <laughs> I saw your I wasn't able to go live, but I've seen mm. on your Instagram the Spice Girls show that yeah. you did. When did you figure out that you were Sporty Spice? How oh wow. Long, how okay. long did it take you to figure that one out? Well, okay. So <laughs> I feel so actually, I have had a ginger spice dress since high school. Really? Yes. So that's originally I connected with with Rob, who produces that Gush show. Yeah. Um, being like, hey, I know you're doing Spice Girls. Like, I have this dress. Um, and it wasn't even me saying I want to be ginger spice. I was just like, this needs to be used. Right. I have like, this. This thing. is amazing. Um, and and so Rob was, ended up being ginger spice. Um, and I, Rob had like played around the idea of like me being ginger spice but ultimately ginger spice is not where my gender sits these days right as even though i've i've played ginger like plenty of times considering i've had this dress since i was 17 but sporty spice is big dyke energy yeah absolutely and like we all wanted sporty spice <laughs> to be a freaking lesbo yeah and like ultimately that is what i think drew people to her yeah it's like it was totally. it was unsaid yeah absolutely. but ultimately you know that's what she brings um and i think one one thing that that i hope makes me relatable in a scene like this is that like i am both a fag and a dyke right um and obviously i say those words to refer to myself very lovingly and right, never refer to other people like that but sure. like those words are really affirming to me um and i think my gender clicked for me yeah when i realized i was both and that you know, I think there's a a narrative that as somebody who is assigned female at birth and identifies as trans, then you must have been mask all your life. And you must have, like, been one of the boys as a kid and, right. like, trucks and rolled around in the mud. And that was not my story. That's not my right. experience. And I think it actually is dangerous to only uphold trans narratives that look like that. Right, Because then it makes trans this thing that's so far away from cis and doesn't just, like, just, like admit that gender is on a spectrum mm -hmm. if not, and not even a spectrum a matrix yeah and like we can all access any parts of femininity masculine at any time and you don't have to like id as trans to be able to access different parts of yourself and so for me as a kid like i as i said my mom you know had costumes and like i loved glitter and makeup mm -hmm. and i was super femme and for me, I, I've come to realize, like, I'm still femme, right. but my femme is my faggotry. <laughs> and, like, that, when I, what drag gave me was the, was a place to put it. Right. It didn't feel like a burden. Right. It was a place that felt like I could take it off at the end of the night, and I can go there, and it feels, like, comfortable and sexy and fun, but ultimately, like, I'm a baseball boy during the day. <laughs> and, like, I don't actually play baseball. I've never played baseball. Right. But, like, that, the idea that I can access both those sides and that drag is, like, a contained place uh -huh. gave me so much peace. Um, also, that question was about Sporty Spice. I went in such a different direction. But no, it's fine. But Sporty Spice is that. Sporty Spice right, is a yeah. baseball boy and also, like, femme realness. I mean, I mostly had to ask because I grew up, I'm a huge fan of the Spice Girls. Yes. I still love them. And, like, seeing the clips on your Instagram of you doing the high kicks and, like, yeah. the, just the, like, I just, I mean, everyone was great in the clips of that oh, show yeah, that totally. I saw. Like, I'm definitely going to go see it if it happens again. But, like, like just everyone was so in character. But knowing, having seen you before, knowing you, like it was just so fun to see you inhabit yeah. what I remembered as Sporty Spice, especially from like the nineties. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's what I love is like I love character stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, as much as I love Vady as a as a persona, right? I also want to be able to play many other things. Right. Like I was in a play earlier this year in which I played an artificially intelligent sex robot. You had the wig yeah. and everything. I remember seeing. Yeah, and that, that, that play was called Eat the Devil. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was produced by One Yearly Theater Company um, and written by Dan Noxall and Nadia Leonard Hooper. Um, and basically, Nadia has been writing this play since we were in college together. Oh, wow. And so it's been in the pr- production for three years. Um, and I had basically decided that I'd sworn off acting. <laughs> um, and part of that was that there aren't there weren't many non-binary roles. Sure. And I was super, super tired of playing the ingenue. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I would constantly get cast in these roles that were just, like, boring. Uh-huh. And I wanted to be able to be villains. I wanted to be able to play men. I wanted to be able to fully transform. Um, but, but this role was basically written for me. And the, the, I say that because it was, a, it was my dream role in the sense that, well, you know, I'm a robot slut. Um, no, but <laughs> typecasting you, totally. You, you can be a robot yeah, slut. Yeah, I mean, I There's definitely, nothing wrong I with definitely that. am. No, but it was, it, was, it was written for me in the sense that, like, I got to play about 12 roles in right. that because I was a, a robot who had different modes. Right. Um, and so that's, that's what I want. Out of out of nightlife too is like I want to be able to like have this place that like is it there is Lady Bedbug is a character and is a is a creature but also always has room to experiment yeah and I think that somebody who who inspires I mean there's so many people that inspire me but like one person in particular um, that super inspires me is Untitled Queen mm-hmm. um, because Untitled has like a vibe and you know what to expect but also Untitled completely transforms right and it's it's authentic to where her artistic impulse is at the moment. Because I definitely, sometimes I'm like, well, that's such a, like, break from what people are used to seeing me do. And, like, well, I won Mix Brooklyn doing this, so that means I must be doing this all the time. And it's just like, yo, shut up. (laughs) Like, voice in my brain. Like, I do what I want. And, like, people who are interested in in what I have to offer are going to be down or they're not. But ultimately, like, if they're if they're a fan, then they're then they're gonna yeah. be down for me to like authentically express myself. Of course, totally. Let's rewind a little bit yeah. to the mix Brooklyn yes. thing that you won. So that was did you win last year? Was no, it was it? um it was a couple months ago. It was April. Oh, oh it was this year. Yeah, That's right. Twenty nineteen. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, so I, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of that. Um, I have not been able to attend the competition though. It looks amazing. But um, talk about being a part of that and and winning that and what that was like. It was a wild ride. <laughs> um, you know, I had seen this competition. This is my this is coming up on my fourth year in the drag scene. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I had different names and like right. and I only started doing burlesque like explicitly. Like I was always doing burlesque, but right. explicitly um, in the past year and a half mm-hmm. as a result of meeting people like Rara right. who were like Pulled, who pulled me into the scene. And I think sure. it's part of the reason that you said earlier that you didn't see me and then you saw me. Right, yeah, like, because you were around, but you weren't really focused on burlesque yeah, until recently. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I I definitely had a complex in my mind for the first couple years that, like, people in the drag scene didn't want me around. Right. And I think that was insecurity, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, and I think it was also a couple of experiences I had in the beginning um, in which some you know, older, traditional, cis, male drag queens um, excluded me. Sure. And it was a different time. Yeah. And it, like, AFAB femme drag performers were were not welcome. Right. Um, and save a couple of, you know, shining stars in the scene. And I, I, like, there were many people, but especially the nobodies. Yeah. They were like, 
you're weird. Come join our family yeah. and like keep yeah, coming back. Um, and so the, the the mixed Brooklyn story, like there's it goes way back in the sense that like I competed in mixed nobody twice, mm-hmm. um, and I was in the finals twice, and I lost both times, and it was the best experience right, that yeah. I could have had. L- I think that losing is super important. Absolutely, I learned so much from losing, um, and. If, I, if it weren't for losing those competitions, I, there's no way I would have won. Right. Um, mixed Brooklyn. But I think it was just like, it was just like, it was time. Like yeah. It was like, it was, and not that, you know, it was time in the sense that like all the pieces were aligned for me. Right. Um, like I was ready to like invest my time in labor um, and money from other gigs in like investing in costumes and investing in certain acts. Right. Um, and I think also people were ready to see the competition be more gender non-conforming mm-hmm. explicitly. Um, at least my community, my direct community right. was like, was ready because I, I, I had not auditioned for that. Um, not auditioned, whatever. I had not done that competition in previous years because I was like, it was called Mr. Ms. Brooklyn. Right. And I was like, I feel like that's affirming a binary that I'm actively trying to resist. Right. So why would I do this competition? But old, but a couple months ago, Alada McGriddles, who is one of the producers, along with Acid Betty, of this competition, messaged me and was like, come for it. Come for this. And I was like, yeah, I think there was a, there was a little kid inside of me who was that was like, I'm being invited to the table? <laughs> sure, like, yeah, of course, yeah. So they want me? Um, and so I was like, okay. And there was another part of me that was like, why the fuck not? I know that I can lose. Yeah. I've lost before. Right. So what do I have to lose? Like, if sure. I know that I can... And I th- I think that's, like, advice I would say to anyone. If you know that you can lose and not, like, have your ego be destroyed and not, like, take it personally or, or lose your sense of self by uh-huh. losing, then you should do competitions. Because totally. ultimately, like, they give you platform. They they help you meet other people. Yeah. They give you... They push you to create something cohesive and that you're proud of um and it's a deadline yeah so so do it you know and also like there's money in it i think like sometimes and especially with with mix brooklyn we all got paid to compete that's awesome you know it's like and i think that's how it should be because i think competitions definitely can take advantage of people where it's like oh they're getting free shows from most of the people and only having to pay one person yeah so like that's 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 it can be a scam i'm not i'm not gonna say any competition right no i hear you though but i think that like it's, it's like, it's about the right one. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that it was like smooth sailing. Like it was exhausting. I'm sure. It was yeah. so exhausting because I have, you know, imp- I have deep imposter syndrome. So I was like, if I'm going to win this. Welcome to the art scene in New York. Where we all, yeah, like we all have that. Absolutely. It doesn't go away. Absolutely. I've been DJing for seven plus years. I still feel like I'm a fake. Absolutely. I'm a I have- fraud. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. And it's funny because anytime anyone asks me a question, like, so I, I don't make my own songs. I don't make my own mixes, but I make my own playlists and I do a lot of crossfading and mixing and I'm working on getting some more tech and like I have a lot of my own gear. But like anytime asks me, oh, what what remixes have you done? I go, oh my God, I'm an imposter. Like yeah. I don't do any of my own remixes. I'm not a real DJ, totally. which is not true at all. But like it doesn't take much to spiral down that road of like, oh my God, everyone's going to figure out that I don't belong here. Absolutely. <laughs> There's that um Venn diagram that's like, one circle is like um, crippling insecurity. Actually, that's the ableist word, but like is like insecurity and like deep self doubt. Right. And then the other circle is um, like egoic narcissism. Right. And in the center, in where they overlap, is like the artist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is definitely true. And I think you know, 
especially in a scene where we're all having to per- put forth personas, right? It's easy to get lost in the ego of it all, and especially where we're, you know, in a culture where we're like all competing for likes. Yeah, it's super easy, and I think there have been moments where where it feels selfish, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Am I just trying to make make myself feel better? Right. But then. You know, there'll be people who will 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 tell you or, or you know that your art means something to them, or right. like that it gave mm-hmm. them permission to do something. And I definitely have tons of of people whose unapologetic expression of who they are gave me permission to be myself. Same. Yeah. And so ultimately, yeah, there is ego involved. That we're human. Totally. But but and 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 it's also but it's also what drag gave me that that theater didn't was fun glamorous exploration of political um, resistance. Yeah. Because ultimately the theater I was trying to make in college was so angry. (laughs) It was really angry. It was like, let me yell at you about what I believe. Right. Which also doesn't account for privilege. Yeah. You know? And so what what drag did was like, when I saw um, my first drag performance of non-traditional drag performers, um, and it was... It was Crimson Kitty um, produced, mm-hmm. and it was, I think it was in like in 2015. Um, and I remember thinking, first of all, there's a space for me. Right. And second of all, wow, this is something that is making a political statement and is definitely has the potential to affect people's minds and hearts, but also is really fun, yeah. really sexy, and really glamorous. So we can do all that because ultimately... Yelling at people isn't sustainable. No. Yelling at people to 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 see you is not, in my opinion, and and from my like very specific position, I can mm-hmm. only speak for myself. But I found that that in times even with my own family, when I'm like, see me, see me, see me, <laughs> like why don't you see me? It yeah. like it doesn't stick, and defensive barriers come up. But when I'm like. Here's this really flamboyant bug that I am. <laughs> They're like they can they can get behind it because right. because it makes them laugh and sure. because I'm ultimately I'm not taking myself so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like I do take myself seriously because I'm like this is my job, um, and this is my art form, and I work my ass off. But also I'm a clown. Yeah, and I'm making fun of myself through it all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that. We're at a play, a really weird place in creating art now, considering the country we're living in. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to know what direction to take it because it's very easy for all of us to just go, everything sucks and I'm going to be angry all the time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's less conducive. Like Also, again, I'm also speaking from a place of privilege right. where I have the the convenience, I guess, or the luxury, rather, of not being angry all the time because I have some you know, things that, you know, some privileges that allow me that. Yeah. Um, but that said, like, I think it's like the the old thing where, like, picking a fight in your comments on Facebook. Like, right. I used to try and do that and, like, be like, I have to hear all sides on social media. But then right. I realized it's an echo chamber. You're not going to change anyone's mind on Facebook, no matter how they feel. Curate it the way you want it so you can exist in that world and create what you want to create and then take to the streets when you want to actually change minds. Yeah. Because you're not going to do it on the internet. It's just not going to happen. Totally. Unless you have a platform that allows you to reach even more people. Like my 800 likes on my Facebook page are not going to convince anybody of anything. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that when we come from a a place of trying to convince people to believe exactly what we believe, how can we really affect change that way? Because ultimately... 
if someone comes to me and tells me something that I, I, I believe is bigoted and they're like, well, these people are inferior to these people, like, they're not going to convince me. Right. So if I want people to to see, like, shared humanity, mm-hmm. then I just have to make art from my authentic humanity. Right. And I have to use that privilege to, like, talk about the fact that I am in a very specific and unique position. Um, but ultimately, white people got to be talking to white people. Yeah, you know? And, like, I, I, I think that it, it there is, a, like, I'm not going to pretend that the dragon burlesque is always just for affecting change. No, of course. Yeah. You know, because ultimately like it's fun. Yeah. And that is maybe selfish that I make money, you know, making fun. But, but I also do believe that I remember taking my family to see a show, um, in which the, it was a play. I can't remember the name now, unfortunately, but, the lead performers, multiple of the lead performers were black and brown trans femmes. And I remember seeing my family members like feel things for these characters that had they had only known in stereotypes in TV right. shows. And so actually seeing the humanity of people, like that's what gets people to care about yeah. the fact that black and brown trans women are, are killed in such high amounts in this mm-hmm. country because they've seen through art through, you know, vulnerability, humanity. Right. And, like, if they don't have access to that because, like, they live on a farm somewhere, which is, like, the reality of these people I'm talking about, mm-hmm. then that's it, it, it. Then me just yelling yeah. for them to care isn't going to do it as much no. as, like, a piece of art which is going to change their, their heart and, like, change their mind. Sure. You know? So, like, ultimately, it's, it's both selfish and it's also, like, I believe where <laughs> the work is for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to shift gears a little bit, what's the dumbest, and I mean this as a compliment, but, like, the dumbest, stupidest thing you've ever done on stage or created? Like, the most ridiculous, stupid thing or an idea oh maybe god. that you've had? Oh, my god. I mean, I have an act where I fully, like, give a blowjob to an eggplant. <laughs> um, that is, like, I don't even think that's dumb. That's, like, really fun. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, when I say dumb, it's, like, it's, I think, uh, wacky acts. Like, yeah. if, if someone calls you an idiot after doing something like yeah. that, like, that's the highest compliment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know it. I know what it is. It's my periodic table act. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's it's, true. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely that. Because it starts where I'm... You know, I'm going through the first 80 elements of the periodic table through that song that many of us heard in high school. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm like, with each element, I'm, like, pulling out a different prop out of, like, oh, yeah. some part of my body, a banana, a fork, a whatever else. Um, and then by the end of the act, I'm, like, laughing, thinking about this because I'm just, like, <laughs> I'm such a ridiculous person. Um, I'm, like, stripping to a Jonas Brothers song. It's, like, burning up by the uh, Jonas Brothers. I mean, how could you not? I mean, yeah. Joe Bros, you know? Gotta love the Joe Bros. But, yeah. So, I think that that's the silliest <laughs> act I have where it ends with, like, an ex- like a uh, as an explosion um, that's, you know, coming from my crotch. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Um, well, I mean, where else do explosions come from? You gotta, you gotta hit, the, hit it on the head <laughs> sometimes, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's maybe my most stupid and also my most brilliant <laughs> act. But I won't do that act. And that's what competitions do. Yeah. Is like, I made that for a competition. Right. Um, I mean, I made it for, for Primal Scream, but I, I, I developed it really much more, you know, 
cohesively for Mix Brooklyn. Right. Um, because I'm not doing that act again. No, of Unless course. people pay me big money. Well, because it's probably pain in the ass to schlep it's, all that stuff. The, it's like 40 props. Like it's, <laughs> and my my housemate, Soft Thoughts, who is such a supportive, like is, is one of my best like stage days. Um... Uh, it calls me the the carrot top of of, of burlesque because I love of it. because of carrot, apparently carrot, carrot, carrot top is known for many props, which is yeah. not something I knew. But there supposedly, you go. yeah, that's my that new tagline. The carrot top of uh, drag drag last. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, let's not like let's not let that catch on. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it, it's a cliche ca- question, but I like asking artists, especially artists who come from very varied backgrounds, if you could give advice to especially a struggling non-binary performer who's mm. trying to break into any art scene, what's something that maybe you didn't think of when you first started that you know now that might help them mm. to like take that first step or move towards performing? Mm. There's so many things that I could say, but the first word that popped into my head, mm-hmm. just as a guiding principle in my life in general, is play. Yeah. Is see how you can have fun with the things that hurt you because that's what's going to make it sustainable for you. Like I used to do spoken word poetry mm-hmm. um, and that I had to stop for many reasons. But one of them was because it was like airing my traumas for points in the slam scene. Right. Um, and it, it didn't help. It didn't heal me. It wasn't fun. And it, it ultimately like it didn't help other people liberate themselves right. either. Um, to just trigger people. And when I started to, to be playful with my gender and things that in the day-to-day I couldn't be playful with because I need to, you know, live in a capitalist society and, like, make money. Yeah. Um, I feel like it opened so many pathways for me. So I think play and also, like, finding the community yeah, that affirms absolutely. you. Um, it's, it was amazing during the Mix Brooklyn competition – to, you know, there were, I've been misgendered on the mic before being introduced to perform like a million and a half times. Right. Um, and there have been t- there are times when I'm like, oh, whatever. And there are times when I'm like, this is such a shitty feeling to like enter the stage about to perform right. a number about being non-binary. Right. Only to have been misgendered. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the community that, that, that watched me and wanted me to win and voted for me ultimately corrected and like very loudly correctly gendered me like over over the microphone oh wow um and the feeling like i was like i'm glad i got misgendered because the feeling of having a room like scream, say the right like, yeah, yeah yeah um it was so affirming to me sure. and so yeah find your community and lastly this is so this is so cliche but it's like do your own thing yeah do your own thing. It's going to be, you're going to want to try on something that felt good for somebody else. But ultimately, people can inspire you and you can always have gratitude for them. But it's not going to speak to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to engage a, a, an audience member in a way that, like, grips them if you're doing something that you put on. Right. So so take the time to play by yourself. Like, play dress up like a little kid, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, really go to that, that playful place um, to see what, you like what feels authentic to you because mm-hmm. if it feels authentic to you then it will feel authentic to an audience awesome well thank you this has been yeah. so much fun thank you for being Truly on my show my pleasure um so the last thing i'll ask is we have a sign off for the show um the saying came from my music podcast that's now on hiatus but the idea behind it is if you're making really good art 
um, life is good. Mm -hmm. And so the saying is music is life and life is good. So Mm. can you sign us off with that saying? Gladly. Music is life and life is good. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. That was awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. <laughs>